We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MBW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in. But why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCrady. I deserve to be on TV. preview and a little bit more with Antonio Morales of The Athletic. We talk about USC. Antonio covers USC for The Athletic. We talk about the Trojans as they try to make the college football playoff in their final year in the Pac-12. We talk about all of the uh, soap opera that is around the Pac-12 right now with USC and UCLA heading to the Big Ten and most recently Colorado heading to the Big 12 effective in 2024. A lot of uh, rumors out there that Arizona is defecting to the Big 12 as early as this week, which, of course, brings up a lot of questions as to what happens with the rest of the Pac-12, what happens with Stanford, what happens with Oregon and Washington, uh, what happens with the ability for the Big 12 to even stay an entity after the 2023 season is over. We talk about all of those things, talk about uh, the one last year of the Pac-12 as it is, a lot of good teams in the Pac-12, Oregon State, Utah, Washington, Oregon, of course, USC. So we talk about those teams and uh, talk a little bit about Bronny James, his cardiac arrest at USC practice last week. And then, of course, uh, no conversation with a Los Angeles-based reporter would be complete without at least mentioning Shohei Otani. So we talk about the Angels' two-way star and his impending free agency at the end of the interview. think you'll enjoy it. It's an uh, extra edition of the Oxford Exxon podcast Pac-12 preview with Antonio Morales. Here is Antonio Morales and myself. Antonio Morales, former Ole Miss beat reporter. Now I've been in LA for a while covering USC, the Pac-12, other stuff for uh, The Athletic. Kind enough to spend some time with us as we do a, I'm going to call this a Pac-12 preview, Antonio. We're going to dive into some other things because the Pac-12 is, Pac-12's in trouble, which is, which is, um, I guess it was somewhat predictable a couple of years ago, but you know, two years ago, the big 12 looked like it was in trouble and now it looks like it's going to, to be able to kind of almost even flex its muscles a little bit. And the PAC 12, at least from the outside looking in, you tell me if I'm wrong, when USC and UCLA said we're going to the big 10, the PAC 12 kind of took a, almost an arrogant stance of, well, we'll be fine. And they're very clearly not fine as we record this on 
July the 30th. Yeah, definitely not fine at all. And um, so, but I mean, we talk about like the elitist kind of stance or whatever that they took. It's, it kind of starts at the presidential level. And I think uh, obviously George Klyavkov and Larry Scott are going to take a lot of the blame for what's going on. But I mean, you have to look at the president level. Um, that's the group that hired Larry Scott. That's the group that also kind of dictated what they wanted from Larry Scott in terms of networks and all this other stuff. And um, they're the ones when it was clearly, when Larry Scott was clearly struggling, they're the ones who extended him and kind of stood by him. I think it was UCLA's president, ASU's president, and I forget which other one that were clearly like in his corner and kept him longer than he probably should have been on, on the spot. Um, they hired George Klyavkov. Um, and uh, I, I think um, USC has kind of got a role in this too, because two years ago when I think George Klyavkov wanted to expand, I think Carol Full, USC's president, was against it. Um, and then they ended up bouncing. Um, so... Um, and at that point, that's when the league was basically like, whatever we need to do to keep USC and UCLA happy. Um, so I think USC kind of played a role in there too. Um, that decision wasn't made overnight, right? I mean, USC yeah. and UCLA, it sounds yeah, like yeah, you're, you're a lot closer to it than I am. It sounds like USC sort of spearheaded it and UCLA said that's probably the yeah. best, best move. What was the sort of the genesis of UCLA going, I'm sorry, of USC going, you know what? this just might not work long-term. I mean, they've been in that league forever. I mean, they were the, yeah. the bell cow of that league for as long as anyone can remember. Yeah, for, a century, for a century. Yeah, and and obviously something or some series of events happened that USC said, hey, this, this is probably not the best way to go moving forward. I think they've had reservations for you know, as long as I've been on the beat and going back, you know, before that, it's been the revenue sharing uh before they came to this recent agreement when the Pac-12 network came, um, I believe USC was getting a little bit, it was getting a little bit more. The LA schools were getting a bit more because, you know, they just bring in so much. They're not, Oregon state and Washington state don't bring in the same as the LA schools. So the LA schools are getting more, but that changed with the Pac-12 network. And when Larry Scott came in, I, I don't think they were too happy about that. Um, and then just, you know, coming from, the SEC and seeing how things run in the Pac-12 uh, kind of opens your eyes to like uh, this place is like mismanaged, but uh, just like the scheduling stuff to where like 2017, I think USC, they made a New Year's Six Bowl, but I think they thought they had like a national title kind of not a national title, but a, a playoff caliber team. And um, the Pac-12 scheduled them for like 12 consecutive games uh with no buys and it's just like something you don't see from like the sec with like their contenders and things like that and there's just other stuff throughout the years um that kind of popped up and um i think usc was just kind of tired of it and um you know just the lack of commitment from the rest of the schools in terms of football i think We've seen the conferences, we've seen schools in the conference make better coaching hires, but you just see some of the stuff they do. And, you know, is Cal really committed to football? Is Stanford really committed to football? Um, and, and some of the other schools. Um, so I just think 
you know, there's there's things that popped up over the decade or so, and obviously they were on heavy sanctions um, during that time, and uh, you know that popped up, and I think they're like, oh, let's let's get out of here and go somewhere else. This place isn't really supporting us that well. I know that whenever you announce you're leaving, the rest of the conference sort of you know gets upset at you and 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 mm-hmm. gets a little vitriolic. Has what's happened with Colorado bolting and now it looks like Arizona is right around the corner and who knows what's going to happen with some of the other schools. Has has that in some ways justified USC and UCLA's decision to get the hell out? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Just because it's been a year since they've announced they've been going, they've, they're leaving and there's still no TV deal. <laughs> like that's the, that's the craziest thing. And I think, I think I think that's one of George Klyovkov's bigger missteps was initially when the, the LA school said they were going, is saying it's like this he spent like five or six months wasting his time on trying to get UCLA to stay and trying to like lean into political favors and all this other stuff to try to get them to stay when it clearly they were clearly gone. Like move on, yeah. try to get the TV deal done, figure out your expansion stuff. And it's a year later and still nothing's done. Um, and I think um, they feel pretty justified right now um, seeing where the rest of the league goes. Obviously, Colorado is gone. I'm curious to see what Arizona does. I think people think they're going to the Big 12. Um, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Um, they're, they're a fit basketball-wise in that conference and you know regionally. Um, it wouldn't be too far of a shift. So, yeah, I, I think... USC is kind of in a weird spot to where football wise, it's one of like the only hopes for the West coast to be relevant, <laughs> but you could stay at the same time and like killed the conference that's on the West coast. Um, but I, I think they probably feel justified in their, in their decision. Yeah. From a, you're out there. So you're a lot more familiar with the, the, the environment, the culture and that kind of thing than I am. But I have to think that, the whole USC, UCLA, they're a long way from those schools, from Iowa and Illinois and all that stuff. Yeah. But in terms of of a, you know, just a culture fit, a game day fit, a, a football matters to us fit, it's they're, they're going to fit right into the Big Ten. Football matters in the Big Ten. They've got a huge TV deal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they've got the big game Saturday night thing that I guess is starting this year, but it's going to yeah going to be huge in 2024 and you got to think usc is going to be a big part of that i mean it's a it's a level of sounds crazy to say about usc because it's obviously one of the most prominent programs in the league but when you play all of your games so late at night you know on the east coast when you're kicking off at seven o'clock and it's 10 o'clock in new york on a saturday well not many people are staying up to watch you you know what i mean i mean so even though you're big and you're everyone recognizes your brand and that kind of thing it's hard to be super relevant when two thirds of the country's gone to bed. Uh, definitely. And last year, like when they were playing there, like they had like a pretty big game against Oregon state where both were undefeated and Oregon state wasn't in the top 25 yet, but they were kind of on their way. And USC was top 10 in the country and like nobody could watch it because it was on Pac-12 network. Um, and it was a great game. It was like a, Final minute, Caleb Williams had a lead, had a lead like a game-winning drive in the final minutes, um, and he pulled it out, and like nobody could really watch. Um, so it's that's that kind of stuff that you know hurts in the long run. And I, I, like you mentioned, I think 
they're definitely a fit football wise, football mentality wise for the Big Ten. UCLA a little less so, but this that's a move they had to make for money because they're they were drowning in debt. And, but I think basketball wise, UCLA fits with the Big Ten and what they want to do football wise a little less so, but um, that was a move they had to make financially. Um, and I think people are going to be excited to come to LA, right? When Ohio state mm-hmm. or Michigan or, or, or Iowa or whoever plays at UCLA, they're going to bring tens of thousands of people because it's they're at the Rose bowl and it's a trip out West and all of that stuff. I mean, they're going to make a big weekend of it. It's going to be like when LSU played out there and LSU took what 40,000 people. I mean, I think yeah. that, that'll be fairly commonplace and that might sort of raise the profile for UCLA just by almost by osmosis. Yeah, I think they have Ohio State coming in the first in the first season next year. And that's something we've seen with Chip Kelly too. They've been struggling to sell tickets. It's been such a lack of interest uh for UCLA and LSU is one of the few times LSU in 2021 and USC last year were like only two of the times I've seen where they fill up the Rose Bowl. I went to a game there in 2021 and it was so empty. <laughs> I think it got like announced like 32,000 people, but it was far less uh, than that. And uh, so I think, like you said, people from Nebraska or Iowa or Wisconsin who love the Rose Bowl trip in, in January are definitely going to make the trip to UCLA uh, during the season. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think it gives them a chance to almost rejuvenate their their program a little bit. I mean, obviously yeah. they have issues, but so here's my question, and you're out there. Why has the Pac-12 just not worked? Why why were why did it fall to a place where the TV people wanted nothing to do with it? Really, uh, ESPN has just sort of tossed its hands up and said it's not worth it. Uh, even they can't get anything finished up with Apple, for goodness sake. I mean, they you know, I mean, it, was, it feels like that would be an easy you know fit just at least on a streaming platform they can't get that done what happened is it just not enough schools care about it did they did they get hit in 2020 is this still a backlash from sort of a bad decision about the whole covid response and all that what what do you what do you attribute to it i just think it's a bunch of things that have piled up over the years kind of like a it kind of manifested itself to where people like crapped on west coast football and it really wasn't that bad but then all of a sudden they started to struggle a little bit and then people kind of stopped caring and uh, the schools kind of stopped caring. As, like, like I mentioned, like Cal, like some of the crowds, I remember growing up and seeing those Jeff Tedford Cal teams like Rogers, Marshawn Lynch and Deshaun Jackson, those schools. And then you see the crowds they have then and they were great. And you go to a Cal, Cal game now and it's de- depressing. Yeah. Um, schools like that just don't draw and Stanford, even when they were winning, just were never a draw. They weren't filling up their stadium. Um, then you had schools like USC who were struggling for a bit and UCLA who didn't care, didn't seem like they cared a ton. And then um, you had other programs who just made bad hires. There's a lot of terrible coaching hires within uh, the Pac-12. Washington's made some, uh, Arizona State's made quite a few um the Stan- uh, stanford's made some and um so the league just kind of really struggled and they didn't get a playoff team for they still haven't had one since 2016 so um that's really hurting recruiting i think just the league just they haven't because they're not playing enough big games and then 
all these kids from the West Coast are starting to leave. Obviously, Bryce Young ends up at Alabama, and um, DJ uh, Uyunglele was a big commit. Obviously, didn't turn out to be that great at Clemson, but that was still kind of like a sign of uh, all these kids have to leave the West Coast to play to play in big games, um, and it's they're still doing it a little bit. Um, so it's been a a whole mix of things, whether it's on field, poor on field play, lack of commitment, uh, bad coaching hires. Then on top of that, you have, you know, commissioners who can't get the job done either. <laughs> um, so it's a bad mix from all the way around. There's a lot of people involved in why uh, this fell apart and the presidents have their share of the blame too. Again, you're out there. You see these programs. You cover USC against these teams and programs and stuff. I'm curious to get your, I don't know, I guess almost prediction, Antonio. I know that Max Olson's done a really good job with The Athletic covering a lot of this, and some of your other colleagues have as well. There's several content items on The Athletic right now about what's happened with the Pac-12 and what might happen with the, the Big 12. If you're the Big 12, I'm making you the Big 12 commissioner for uh, for a day here. You already added Colorado, so you're at 13. Um, if you can only add one more, is there a Pac-12 school that you add, or do you add Connecticut? And if they tell you, hey, you can go to 16, what what route do you go? And then I guess the, I'll follow up. I'll answer that, and then I've got a question on the other side of it. I think if I try to add Arizona, um, just because, you know, it, it closes down that distance of the other schools have to travel. Um, Connecticut just set so far and football wise I, I know UConn has the national championship in basketball and stuff like that but football wise not a good school and um, Arizona can kind of bring you closer to the west coast closer to California um, recruiting wise in that talent bed um, then I would try to push to, to 16 and try to talk Oregon and Washington into coming just because I, I know people will say Oregon and Washington, they're just going to end up in the big 10 and they say that, but USC doesn't want Oregon in, in the big 10. And yeah, you just uh, answered my follow-up question. I was curious about two things. One was Oregon and Washington. I know they want to be in the big 10, but the big 10, if they wanted to make a move for Oregon and Washington, they may have already done it already. Right. And they, they, yeah. they done it. And so if you're Oregon and Washington, it's almost, tell me if I'm wrong. It's, it feels to me, and again, I'm nowhere close to out there, but it feels to me, this would be panic time because if, yeah. if I, th I, I think the writing's on the wall that Arizona's leaving, uh, I think Arizona has made that clear. I, this supposedly could happen as early as Tuesday of this week. Um, if Arizona bolts, the, the, now you have the pack eight, it's dead. It's dead. And Just, it's deader than dead. And and you can go add SMU and you can add San Diego State. Nothing, no disrespect to those schools, but it's not the same. And so if you're Oregon, Washington at this point, I know you want to go to the prom with the Big Ten, but if they won't have you, you you better lock up your date to the prom and that might be the Big 12, right? Yeah, because like like you mentioned, if the Big Ten wanted those schools, they'd be in there. They wouldn't have just added USC and UCLA and be like, oh, we're going to add them in a year. No, they would have done it at the same time. So that hasn't happened and doesn't look like it's going to happen. And 
I think Oregon and Washington's initial wishes were let's keep this conference together and we could fight for playoff spots here. It won't be as hard. USC and UCLA are gone. And even when it was the Pac-10, okay. And then if Arizona stayed put, I could see them adding another school and then adding a couple more to kind of get the conference to where it was, the Pac-12. And you'd still be fighting for playoff spots. But now it's, you know, the Pac-9 and Arizona might leave. You're the Pac-8. And then you're talking about 2024 and you have like seven conference games on the schedule. Like there's only seven other teams you can play and you need, so you need what five non-conference games where you're getting those. Like, so uh, what happens to Arizona state? Because from the outside looking in, and I've been to Phoenix a few times from the outside looking in, that's a big school. It's got a massive alumni base. It's got a, yeah. a recognizable brand with the sun devil and all that stuff. Um, if, if you're, if you're Arizona state, what's your next move? That's, a big question just because Michael Crow, their president's been such a staunch like believer in the Pac-12. Like Arizona's been the school where it's like uh they, they're flirtatious with the Big 12, but Arizona State's been such in the corner of the Pac-12. Like whether it's Larry Scott or George Klyovkov, this whole time Michael Crow's been like the biggest proponent, the biggest defenders of those guys. Um so it'll be curious to see what happens if slash when Arizona goes to the Big 12, like what's ASU going to do? Because they've had this stance for, for so long. And um, I think they want to view themselves as like, I know people make jokes about ASU, but like academic wise, but I'm sure they want to be associated with those schools. And um, it's going to be interesting to see how they would react to Arizona um, making that move do you put any stock at all into the rumor that stanford might be able to piggyback with notre dame into the big 10 i think the big 10 schools would certainly want stanford and obviously notre dame's the big fish but if they can get stanford that gives them someone to pair with usc and ucla and then it brings an elite academic institution obviously we know like the big 10 schools place a priority on that so i think that that would be something I could see happening. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts that help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Um, On the field, one last year for the, the, the Pac-12 or the Pac whatever it is. I guess it's 12 on the yeah, field. Yeah, it's still 12 for one more. For one, one more, more year. Um. USC's out there with Caleb Williams, won the Heisman. Lincoln Riley's done a really good job. It, from the outside looking in, it looks like he's building that program quickly into mm-hmm. a powerhouse. Two questions. Are they good enough to uh, to make the playoff? And then second part of that question is to make the playoff, given the perceived weakness of the Pac-12, do they, do they have to go undefeated to do it? Well, the second one, I, I think they can go 12-1 and one and make it. Uh, last year, they went away from making it with one loss. Um, they just fell apart in the Pagel title game. Uh, so I think they can make it with one loss. Um, you know, they are building the program. I think they're good enough to make the 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 playoff this year. Uh, I just think the second half of their schedule is so backloaded. They play the last six games are Notre Dame on the road, Utah at home. Uh, they have Cal in there, but then they play Washington at home, Oregon on the road, and they finish with UCLA. Uh, so about four of those teams will probably be in the top 25, and UCLA could sneak in there too. Um, so they're going to have – their depth will get tested, and I think that's the one spot where they don't have it built yet is the line of scrimmage. They don't have a lot of depth there. They've added a lot of transfers. They've added some good transfers. Their starting lineups on both sides of the line will be good, but – it's going to take a lot to get through that unscathed and healthy, um, especially when you have Notre Dame and Utah back-to-back to start that run. Those are two physical teams. After USC played Utah last year, they were so banged up um, that they had a whole bunch of guys out, some starters out the next week. It was such a physical game um, against Utah. So you know, they're going to need to build it for the long haul, 15 games if they want to – that's what they've been talking about, Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley uh, at Media Day. Um, but the depth on the lines will get seriously tested, and that's kind of where they got hurt at the end of last season. They had some offensive linemen out in the Pac-12 title game in the Cotton Bowl, and you could tell the run game wasn't the same. Um, but I think they've upgraded the talent level on defense, which was like the biggest weakness last year. Uh, everybody in the Pac-12 had terrible defenses last year except Oregon State, really, and Utah was kind of middle of the pack. Uh, so I think they have the talent there. Just a matter of will the depth hold up. Uh, Ole Miss plays Tulane week two in New Orleans. You saw Tulane in the in the Cotton Bowl. What did you make of that loss? Was that just USC sort of slept walked a little bit? Or or was that a sign that, that Tulane's better than people are giving them credit for? 
I think Tulane's better than people give them credit for, but USC kind of completely choked the game away. They were up 15, they're up by 15 with like four minutes left. And um, they gave up a touchdown within like a minute. And then the ensuing kickoff, USC's kick returner dropped it at the one yard line. He tried to catch it when he should just let it go. He dropped it at the one, and that's what kind of spiraled the whole thing. Um, then USC gave up a safety, then they gave up a, a touchdown. So they ended up losing by one point in the final seconds. The quarterback's a good player, uh, Michael Pratt. Um, I think a lot of people know him. And I think a lot of people wanted him to transfer um, this past yeah. year. But, uh, you know, he's, he's a good player. They lost Spears, the running backs. So I'm curious to see um, how they replace him. But they have speed. And I think that was one, the one thing that surprised me was just how fast um, they were. They're not the biggest team, obviously. It's a power, it's a, a AAC school, but a lot of speed um, that I wasn't expecting. And you know, they have good skill players um, at DEB and at receiver um, who are blown by USC's guys. Uh, I don't think the speed will be that much of a di- like I think Ole Miss will be more prepared for that speed than USC was because Lane had recruit has recruited for a few years and that was Lincoln's first full year so he hadn't recruited the guys he wanted but um so I think Ole Miss will be able to handle that speed but um they're they're faster than you think I think USC and Kansas State found that out last year when they played them um want to talk about Caleb Williams for a minute then get your thoughts on the rest of the Pac-12 he you hear NFL people saying that he he's worth tanking for, uh, you know, he's it's, it's a quarterback league. Uh, Netflix has the quarterbacks out right now. And you see, you know, just how difficult that position is and just how important it is to have a elite player there. And a lot of people compare him to kind of a Patrick Mahomes kind of guy. When you watch Williams play, um, what do you see in his future in terms of the NFL? Um, a lot of good stuff, obviously. It's just yeah. he elevate he elevates he just the way he elevated the team last year was kind of crazy to watch because I think if you talk about USC, say if they had Dart or somebody, just a, another quarterback, I think a seven, eight win team and he had them on the doorstep of the playoff, like one win away. Uh because he, he erases so many mistakes. Um uh, their offensive line was good. Um they're in the mix for the Joe Moore Award, but you know, it wasn't like a bunch of five-star guys they had there and whatever mistakes they did make, he was able to erase them because he's so mobile in the pocket and can get out of so much trouble. And the, if your receivers aren't getting open, he can run around and extend the play. Um, and we saw last year, once he got hurt, the USC running game kind of tanked. So he just affects the game in so many ways and opens up so many, he makes your receivers better. He makes your running backs better. He makes your offensive line better. Um, and I think we saw that throughout the course of the season and just, you know, the incredible arm talent and the way he's able to throw on the move um, and, and make plays out of nothing is pretty incredible to watch too. Um, and it's it, at USC last year, I was kind of going in, into the season thinking, okay, like it's USC. They, they always have hyped quarterbacks and the hype quarterbacks like never pan out. to like what the media hype is out here is in LA, the USC quarterbacks, a pretty prime position. And then she's like, okay, here's this guy. And then you want to see Caleb play. And then the first few weeks, like, okay, like I see what the, what the hoopla is about. And then, um, but he hadn't kind of like truly broken out. And then against Utah, 
he turned it on, he flipped a switch, and the whole rest of the season was, you know, incredible. Yeah, he was he was amazing to watch. Um, the rest of that league, I saw you I saw Oregon State play in person in Vegas against Florida in, in late December. Oregon State was good, man. They were physical. Yeah. They, Jonathan uh, Smith's a really good coach. He's a terrific coach. I mean, you could just tell they had great chemistry. Um, Utah plays Florida again early this year. It's in Salt Lake City this time around. Um, we talked about UCLA a little bit. Uh, I Oregon. Guess, yeah, Oregon. I mean, tell me the threats in the Pac-12 to um, to USC, I guess. There's about three or four. So there's Washington, who will probably be – who was the, the second right? Was pick second in the preseason poll? They have great receivers and Michael Penix. Um, I think USC has the best receiving room in the conference. But if you're telling me like who the top receivers are, I think Washington might have one and two. Um, their receivers are really great. Kalen DeBoer has done a great job over there. Jimmy Lake it was so bad in 2021 and obviously got fired after I think like 15 games. But Kalen DeBoer came over there with a plan on offense. And uh, he unlocked Michael Penix, and they have a great passing game. Uh, they beat Oregon last year. Uh, I think they'll be in the mix. I think Oregon will be in the mix. Dan Lanning's done a great job recruiting. Bo Nix is back. We'll see how they replace Kenny Dillingham as offensive coordinator. I know they brought the UT UTSA guy um, in there. It's, I have questions about Tosh Lupoy um, as a defensive coordinator. I, I think that was something last year where USC caught a lot of heat for how bad their defense was, but I think you know, the previous staff didn't recruit that much talent. I think Oregon had actual actual talent on their defense, and they were just bad. Um, so I have questions about Tosh Lupoy and how that'll work, but the offense should be really good. And uh, Oregon State, you know, I could I could see them making a run with the Pac-12 title game. It's all a matter of if they can get functional quarterback play out of DJ. Um Jonathan Smith's good with quarterbacks. He was at Washington when Jake Browning, who wasn't super talented, he was the OC there when they went to the playoff with him. Uh, their defense was great last year. They're going to lose some talent off that group. Omar Spates transferred to LSU. Uh, but, you know, they're going to have a run game. You know, they're going to have a great offensive line. So that'll take some pressure off the defense. Um, if they get functional QB play, I think they could be like a sleeper dark horse. And then obviously there's Utah. And Cam rising towards ACL in the Rose Bowl. So we'll see like how ready he is for Florida. And they play Baylor shortly after that. So, but that's always a tough team. And you know what you're going to get from them. Then with their recruiting, they're kind of like a Dan Mullen, Mississippi State type of mindset to where it's more development over uh, stars. That puts a ceiling on what you can do, but, you know, they're going to be tough and physical and be ready to play. Um, so those are the schools that I see kind of in the mix um, for the Pac-12. It's going to be a competitive year. It's going to be a fun year. So it's kind of a shame the the conference is dying because these schools are actually getting good now. Yeah, it, it's the fact that it, there are some pretty good teams in the league, and it could be a really competitive year, but it's going to get overshadowed by all this conference talk and all that stuff kind of all season long. I guess the one thing that could sort of shine through with that is Caleb, of course, because yeah. – He's, you know, won the Heisman. He's going for it again. Um, Lincoln Riley, such a high-profile guy. There, there'll be all eyes on on yeah. USC, and I'm I'm sure that a lot of those schools are going to get super geeked up for SC with the shot to mm -hmm. sort of spoil it in in the last season. They probably, I'm guessing, inside the league, 
in a normal year, you'd be like, yeah, we're sending a team to the playoff. They probably don't want SC to get to the playoff this year. They would probably rather them sort of trudge out of the league with their head tucked between their proverbial legs, I'm guessing. Yeah, Utah was so excited to beat USC last year and uh, when they beat them at home and then when they beat them in the Pac-12 title game. Um, So they really kind of reveled in that opportunity and when when USC goes to a spot like Oregon this year in November where it's the last trip to Dodson Stadium, man, um, those fans are going to be hyped up and um, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what the reaction is across the league on, on the road. Um, they'll play at Colorado the first week, so it's like both schools are kind of leaving. So yeah. uh, they'll be like, oh, we'll see you guys later. But uh, um, the environment at Oregon will be one worth watching to see kind of what the reaction is when – because they've left Oregon in such a tough spot. <laughs> um, um, uh, that'll be worth watching once they go over there in November. What do you think about Deion Sanders in Colorado? What, what do you predict happens there down the road? I've been talking to some people this week and uh, just like about what honest expectations are for them in the Pac-12 this year. Because on social media, and people who don't kind of follow them will be like, oh, what if he turns it around? And in my mind, I was like, Colorado was so bad last year. They're so terrible. Uh, they went from their one, one game. I, like if they won three or four in my mind, I'd be like, okay, that's a good sign of progress. And people around the league agree with that too. They're, I think they're curious to see how's the culture going to hold up if you start one and four, because I think the first five games are at TCU, Nebraska. I know Nebraska is not good, but I think from a roster start, from a roster standpoint, they're at a better starting point than what Colorado was. Uh, they have Colorado State, which they should win. Then they have at Oregon and home versus USC. So you're talking about one and four, maybe two and three. And if, if they start one and four, what are all these guys who have never played together, uh, who some might be in it for themselves? What's that going to be like in the locker room when you're one and four? And are people going to start turning on each other? And what's going to happen with the culture? It's going to be a real test. And I, I want to see what, Dion's going to recruit like or what he's going to sell if you're two and eight three and yeah. nine late yeah. in the year I think that's that's the big question and right now what we're seeing is they're they're not in on a lot of top high profile guys right now I think they only have like three or four blue chip guys in their class and I, I just don't know what they're going to sell or what the vision will be on the recruiting trail uh if they have a bad season yeah, and he did so much portal stuff, and I don't blame him. You're one, yeah. but you know, I'm watching. I watch Lane Kiffin and what he's doing at Ole Miss, and he went pretty heavy in the portal, then really heavy in the portal, and now as he gets into year four, it feels like he's dialing away from the portal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, who knows? Maybe in December they're going to go add thirty more guys, but I kind of doubt it. And it tells me that internally, people look at the portal and go, you know, as long as you're winning, it's good. Mm-hmm. But the moment that that adversity comes the lack of culture and chemistry from just having so many people brought in from all sorts of different places it sort of is insurmountable a little bit it's just it just kind of churns a little that's that's the impression i get lane hasn't said that um i'm putting thoughts into his head which is probably not a smart thing to do but it just kind of watching his recruiting of high school guys now it feels that that's the direction they seem to be headed 
Yeah, Lincoln Riley, the same thing. They brought in 20-something guys, 20-something transfers his first year, and they only had seven or eight high school kids. Um, and then last year, you start to saw, see them. It was a 20-person, like a 22-person high school class, and it was only 10, 12 transfers. So I think Dion will make the shift eventually. But the, the dangerous thing about the portal is there's, it's easy to miss. And I think we've seen that with him. Uh, that tight end they got from Arkansas State who already bounced um, and, and other guys who they brought in who are already out of the program uh, within a matter of months. Um, and I, I think there's some some star chasing going on there to where it's, oh, this guy was a former four or five star in the portal, uh, in the recruiting, in his recruiting class. You know, let's bring him in, even though he wasn't playing at wherever he came from. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot of that. And, you know, we'll see how that plays out over the long run. All right, last two or three things. Uh, give me your, give me your Pac-12. Who's in the Pac-12 title game? I think it'll be USC and, and Oregon State. I like oh. Oregon State's schedule, so um, I think Jonathan Smith's a really good coach. So I think it'll be those two, and I think, I think USC will win, but I don't know if it'll make the playoff. Okay. Um. Some high-profile players in that USC basketball program. Uh, none, none more high-profile than Bronny James, mm-hmm. who had a real scary cardiac arrest incident. I guess last week at, at practice. Um, what on the beat? I guess what have you heard in terms of what happened and and what is his what is his future? Uh, I think his future is kind of in doubt. People are like, "What's going to happen? Is he going to be, be be able to play basketball?" Uh, again, so uh, this is something that USC has been prepared, like they're prepared for, unfortunately, in their case, because they had a player who suffered cardiac arrest last year. Um, they haven't said much about this instance, but um, you know, luck, fortunately for Bronny James, they are prepared. And, um, you know, it's, it's scary. Um, it's happened twice within a year. Uh, and obviously, then and basketball wise, that was someone they're counting on to be a part of their team. They brought him in, Dennis Rodman's son, Isaiah Collier, the number one player in the country. So they've been excited um about the offseason they they've made and the players they brought in. And so um this is a scary thing and we'll see how it kind of affects the roster um going forward because this is a there's a lot of high expectations for USC basketball this year. Um they made the tournament last year in a kind of reset year and uh, this year it was the year like people expected them to compete for the Pac-12 we'll see you know what happens after that they had the AED there on the facility right I mean and they had to use it on Bronny Mm -hmm. yeah Um, so you know that staff was ready and uh, prepared and then if I remember correctly when you when you were here uh, you you wore a lot of Dodger Mm-hmm. Um, and it was back in the days when there was a little competition between your team and my team. Uh, what's the word out there in in uh, in Los Angeles about the future of um, Shohei Otani? <laughs> I think they're, I think they're pretty confident that they're going to get. I think most people think uh, he's going to end up in a Dodgers uniform. So, uh, yeah, people. I think the the push and pull is: Do you go in? Before they took him off the market, they, before the Angels took him off the market, I think some Dodger fans were like, do you go all in and like make the move now? 
or do you just wait and don't give up anything and try to sign him in the offseason? Uh, so I think there's been a push and pull there. Uh, but but confidence confidence is, is definitely high. How will the Angels recover from having this? I mean, generational superstar doesn't put it. He's Babe Ruth. He's yeah. modern day Babe Ruth. How do you you're, you're going to lose him? They're going to make a push here in the last couple of months. He's having a maybe the greatest season in the history of 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 the game. Yeah, and there's been a lot of great players that have played baseball. Um, you lose him and you get a compensation pick somewhere in the sixties, probably how do how does Artie Moreno and the angels recover from that? Or can they, I mean, what's the, you're out there. What's the, it, it, here's the thing for people that don't know, cause I was out there a few years ago and, um, it was Shohei Otani bobblehead day and my son Carson wanted a bobblehead and I did too. I love Shohei. He's my favorite player. And we went, we were in downtown LA and we left and it took two and a half hours to get to Anaheim Yeah, traffic. It took no time to get back to mm-hmm. LA, but to get there during rush hour and stuff was yeah. forever. So it's, it's, it's hard to get there. You have to be motivated to go. It's not yeah, like you have to want a lot show. Hey. Yeah. It's not like going to a, a Dodger stadium game where it's kind of, you can make a last mm-hmm. minute decision. Hey, let's go see the Dodgers and, and you can get to Chavez ravine. What will happen with the Angels, in your opinion? It's crazy. I remember going to a game last year and it's like walking around the stadium and seeing like Shohei like all over the walls and like his his base signed baseballs and stuff like all over like put up in their little like Wall of Fame stuff too. And it's like I was like, oh, that's kind of crazy. Like he's he's only been here for like three or four years and like oh like overshadowed Trout and everything like that. Um, so obviously Trout will still be there, but like that's such a such a huge loss like for your fan base and like i'm sure advertising wise from stuff they're getting from japan and like the interest they're getting there and um i don't know how they will recover from it it's they've they've invested so much you know marketing wise and everything else with shohei um it's gonna be just hard to recover from and hard to bounce back from and um what we've seen from Artie marino is like he doesn't have an issue spending money it just he hasn't spent it wisely we've seen guys like josh hamilton and albert Pujols and cj wilson and like just a bunch of big names come but they haven't really done anything for the, for the organizations so like i'm sure he'll try to respond by signing a, a big name player but in the past that really hasn't hasn't worked out for him they've they've had trout where they drafted and developed but you know some of their big plunges have been pretty bad anthony rendon um, yeah. so like um, so I'm sure he'd try to respond by sending a big name, but that hasn't been uh, the best thing for them in the past. Yeah, no, it's I, I can't even imagine from an organizational standpoint how you recover from that, what the next marketing campaign is. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess you double down on Trout, but at some point you have to rebuild. But anyway, I've kept you uh, plenty long. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, really enjoy Thanks. keeping up with your work out there at, at The Athletic. Uh, you can follow Antonio on Twitter. He's easy to find. Um, appreciate your time. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, man. Again, my thanks to Antonio Morales of The Athletic for his time today, previewing the Pac-12 and more. We'll have more of these as the uh, month of August comes and uh, we get into it. Going to talk some Sunbelt, some uh, American, some other leagues as well as we get you ready for the 2023 college football season. So, 
I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this edition of the Oxford Nixon Podcast, a full week of podcasts coming your way here on the MPW Digital Network. I appreciate you being a part of our show, part of, appreciate you guys making us a part of your week. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.